You're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. This is Lavelle Sanders, one of the most underrated players in scene hall history. Had a great time with, on the podcast. Make sure you check these guys out. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It's November 14th, 2021. And Mike, I think I'm becoming a curmudgeon. I, I, I don't know, man. I... I we just went through the first week of the season. We won by uh, amounts that I wasn't expecting, and I'm still not happy. I, I I don't know what's going on with me anymore. You won both games, and you're upset? Are I, you really? I, Come on. I, I don't know that I'm upset, but I'm not necessarily happy about these results. What do you expect? You expect to be like a well-oiled machine in these first two games where everything's flowing, the offense is crisp. The offense has not been crisp with Willard for over a decade, and you expect it to be in the first two games as we're kind of working on all those new pieces? Mike, I don't know what I expected. You know, last week we said the team should win both these games. Neither one of us was going to be overly surprised if the final scores were closer than they should have been because history says Willard doesn't like blowing out teams. And what happens? We win by big amounts, and I'm just sitting there going, I should have seen more. Well, I don't know what you expect. There was going to be some things that we were going to break down and say was a little bit sloppy. There were going to be some things that turned your head and been like, wow, I didn't expect that. That I kind of thought that that's the way the trend was going to be because you played two inferior teams. I know that there were some rumors that you know, we might struggle against Yale because Yale's predicted to be you know, first in the Ivy League this year, and this is going to look like a good win down the road. And, hey, the spread even reflected that. Only, what, 12 and a half? But at the end of the day, we were coming into these two games expecting two Ws. You got two Ws. You got two impressive Ws, and you're grumpy. I am grumpy. I don't, I don't know what it is, Mike. So let's just continue on and see what this week's podcast will bring us. So this week on the podcast, we will review both wins against Fairleigh Dickinson University in Yale. And we will preview the upcoming game in Ann Arbor against Hated Michigan. But first, Seton Hall 93, Fairleigh Dickinson 49. Sluggish starts by both teams, and after 11 minutes of play, the Knights were hanging tough 
only down 16 to 11. The Hall finally got rolling with a 24 to 6 run, taking a 20 point lead into halftime. A 16 3 run to open the second half made it a rout as the Hall coasted to a final margin with extended garbage time. All right, here's the box score on this one. Chomp full of stats. You got five Pirates in double figures to open up the season. Tyree Samuel, 19 points, 11 rebounds, four blocks. Trey Jackson with 14 points and six boards. Miles Kale, 15 points, six rebounds. And in that, he actually eclipses 1,000-point career total. He's now the 46th player in Seton Hall program history to reach that mark. Jimmy Harris in his debut effort, 13 points on four of eight three-point shooting. And Bryce Aiken had 15 points on a perfect three of three from distance. For the team stats, this is all about three-point shooting. This is going to be a stat that I think starts to overtake college basketball as we've seen it happen in the NBA now. But Seton Hall shoots 13 of 24 from behind the line at a 54% clip. And FDU goes a putrid one of 15 for 7%. Two marks of Seton Hall really struggled with last year, and they really improved right out of the gate here against FDU. Plus 11 on the glass. And then also from an assist perspective, Seton Hall dishes out 15, and FDU only dishes out six. All right, Tommy, the turning point on this one, I think it's pretty simple. I could hear it in your recap. It's You're the jump grump- ball, Mike. It was the jump ball. No, it's not the jump ball. It's 16-11. You're getting grumpy in the recap, and Willard starts going to his bench. And you know what? Bryce Aiken made a difference. We're going to talk about it some more, but he gets the offense going. They go on that 24-6 to run, and yes, and, and at that point, the game gets iced away. It probably should have happened from the minute they threw up that jump ball and they came out of the locker room, but it didn't. It took Seton Hall, you know, a couple of moments to get their legs underneath them, and they finally got it in gear. So not, not a, you know, over-the-top turning point in this one, but, you know, the second wave of the guys came in, made an impression on the game. We're going to talk about that some more, and Seton Hall took it home for the victory. Well, Stop well, getting upset. Let me put my blue-tinted glasses on for a second. You think Bryce Aiken made the turnaround, and I'm going to tell you someone played better than Bryce Aiken. Tyree Samuel had his first breakout game, his first career double-double, and he reached career highs in points, rebounds, and blocks. Previously, his high for scoring in a game was 12 points. And you know what, Mike? He even had the woe to just see that moment on a fast break in the second half. Jahari Long gets him a pretty little pass, and he throws one down over an FDU player. Wait a minute. Woe did you see that, baby? You're already going to the woe did you see that moment? I'm sorry. If we're going to do that, I'm going to throw some love to Trey Jackson. I thought he had three or four different eye-popping plays throughout the game that also kind of announced his little breakout in this effort. He has that pass that he steps in front of at half court, takes it the distance for a dunk. He has that simultaneous throw down, put back on a dunk with Kale. He's got the fast break where he goes up and under with the nice reverse. Come on, Trey played a really good game, and you're just automatically giving it. We've seen Tyrese throw that dunk down before. Come on. This is what I saw. You know, and I think Trey probably would have had a couple more points, but for the foul trouble he had that game. 
I think you just wanted to make the opening point anything but Bryce Aiken because, I mean, you told me at the beginning of the season preview, we're not talking about Bryce Aiken. I don't want to hear anything about Bryce Aiken. He leads the team in points, rebounds, and comes up one block short, and you don't want to give him any credit. No No, credit from you. I'm not trying to say that Tyrese doesn't deserve his credit. Yes, he had a great game. Absolutely. I'm, I'm telling you offline, though, can he start doing it against guys more his size? So I want to see consistency out of Tyrese. But, yeah, he got a great game. So we should celebrate it. When you put in your career highs across three specific stat categories, yeah, you're, you're going to be the highlight of the game. But the collective bench, we already mentioned Trey. We already mentioned Bryce. The bench just offered that spark that I talked about in that 24 to six run, Tom, they put in 52 total points of the pirates 93 in this game. We have a nine man rotation, three guys off the bench scored in double figures. And that's with Jahari long being part of that bench rotation. And as you saw when the Yale game, you're going to have Roden kind of coming back and that's just going to make the bench of this team even deeper. That should be highlighted here. The fact that we kept on saying, you know, trick or treat, is Willard going to have his deepest team ever in his tenure here at Seton Hall? This initial game illustrated that that could be true. I'm surprised that that's not your biggest takeaway and you're going right to Tyrese. I'm sorry. It is FDU. Let's not get overly excited about everything. But yes, we've complained about bench scoring for years And right now, we've probably got a lot of instant offense coming off the bench. But you know what else we also have? That three-point shooting. I don't know if they can hold it up, but it looked pretty good. Your man, Jameer Harris, started off with a four of eight game. And you know what I found interesting, Mike? When he was taking that shot within the offense, and we always say this, take your shots within the offense. He got his feet set. The ball came off his hand. And you're just like, oh, that's in. That's a sight. That's pretty. But then he's coming back and pulling these shots like he's Steph Curry. He got one thrown back in his face. He had one from almost the logo, which is like the new thing to do. And they're short and they're off. Just keep shooting from the line. Get your feet set. Get those things flying. Yeah, I joke saying that his three-point shooting is maybe a little bit Miles Powell light. Yeah, his three, his deep three-point shooting was definitely light, but wasn't getting to the rim all the way. I'm with you. Four for eight. I'm not complaining. The team collectively has six guys make a shot from behind the line. They're over 50% for the game, shooting a, a high volume of shots. There's nothing to complain about here, but sometimes you also want to pull it back and say, you know what, I want to take good three-point shots within the offense. So. I can't disagree. Great initial impression by Harris. Just just take quality shots throughout the rest of the, the game. I, I don't need him trying to be Miles Powell. He's not needed to be Miles Powell in terms of some of the shots he's taken deep or some of the three-pointers he's taken off the dribble in that collective four for eight. But overall, I'm very happy with the three-point shooting. This is something they really struggle with. I told you that this could be another treat, that they're going to go over on the 34% or the, what was it, 32% they shot last year? And I said they're going to go over. You give them like two percentage points higher. Hey, they, they might prove you wrong. This might be a, a strength of this team for all we know. All right, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll let you do it. G- give me give me your sour grapes and grapes. Well, you know, in general, I'm, I, I'm watching this game. And right before halftime, I'm thinking to myself, man, these guys are not playing all that well. And then all of a sudden I notice 
they're up by 20 points. I'm like, how did this happen that I don't feel like they're playing well and they're still up big? And it looked like they were really working the rust off early on. I mean, the first 12 and a half minutes of this game were really ugly. They shot six for 22, three turnovers. They were missing free throws. I mean, Miles Kale, fifth year senior, goes to the line for the first time misses both shots dude you're a fifth year senior and have a good stroke how are you doing that and you know on defense I think they're going to be over relying on Ike back there cleaning up the mess because they were repeatedly beat on backdoor cuts I got nothing else to add I, I think you hit it all you're sitting there questioning why you thought you know they weren't playing well even though we're up by 20 at the half you kind of hit on all the points I mean it just was a very sloppy first half and let's be honest the level of competition that was on the floor playing against the pirates is a low level picked ninth in the nec which is one which is a low d1 conference we joke about it all the time the winner of the nec uh, auto bid for winning their conference tournament gets sent out to dayton playing in the first four you know representing the 16 seeds so there was a lot of individual talent on display for the pirates and at times it won out and at other times it was kind of sloppy. And I think you saw that reflected in this six for 22 that they got started with. And then ultimately kind of just rising to the occasion by being the better athletic team on the floor. But bottom line, it was hard to take a lot out of it at first half. It just well, was. Well, I mean, it wasn't unexpected. If FDU has three upperclassmen on a team with 15 scholarship players, I mean, you've got a lot of guys that have not played basketball at the D1 level in there playing serious minutes for them. All right, but but I'll, I'll throw in a gripe here. So most of the guys seem to lean on their athleticism that I just you know talked about uh, and therefore found success. But a guy who did not have success out of the gate for the entire first 40 minutes of the season was Kadari Richmond. He definitely struggled, right? He fouls out. He goes two of seven from the floor. He has only one assist. He has two turnovers. I'm not saying he was in over his head, but if anybody was trying to work out the kinks, Kadari definitely had a, a rough first performance in front of the Seton Hall faithful. No? And, 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 you know, we tend to give the Seton Hall faithful, as you've called them, a bit of a hard time. But already there were calls for, hey, this Richmond, he keeps playing like this. We're going to put him on the bench. Get Bryce Aiken out there. I mean, they turned fast on this kid. I mean, you're talking about someone that they were mentioning in the NBA draft breath. And all of a sudden he has one bad game to start. And they're, they're ready to get rid of him. They're ready to cut ties, man. You know, he had a bad game. Let him work it out a little bit. I mean, he's still, it's still early in the season. If he's going to have a bad game, let it be against someone like FDU. Don't have bad games down the line when they actually matter. Figure it out now. But, but that's like, let's go back to the preview episode again, right? And that was my biggest issue is putting him on this pedestal. Yeah, he's got NBA measurables. He's young. So you're going to see him potentially on some of these projections of these analysts that are kind of looking for guys that might slot into NBA potential talent based on their size, their measurables, their skill set. But people were reading those kind of things and automatically putting them into this upper echelon of expectations. Well, guess what? Yeah, you're right. No, no reason to be sending them to the bench, but there needs to be some balance. 
So for the fans to be all over him, that's just wrong. But to also kind of expect him to do stuff he hasn't done yet, also not fair. I think we saw a nice bounce back performance. We're going to talk about that when we break down Yale, but they're going to have to be some patience in understanding what Kadari needs to do, adjusting to his new team, his new surroundings, and his new responsibilities that Willard's going to ask him to take on compared to what Bayhine asked him to do. It's just, it's not the same, both on the offensive side and defensive side of the ball. And we saw that in this first game. So I'm not down on, on Kadari, but I think we also need to temper some of those expectations and give him a chance to develop into the, the role that he needs to be for this team. I, I, I can appreciate about the disappointment, Mike. It's not like he even had an up and down game, but you know who did have an up and down game? The announcers this week, man. We definitely had some flops. We definitely had some drops. So on the Tommy, F- Tommy wait, wait, that's a transition. That's a good transition. You like that, huh? That was good. I, yeah, I, that just I came got... off the top of the noggin, too. But maybe, maybe we are getting better here. Maybe these, these warm-up games make a difference. So for the FDU game, we had Noah Eagle, who happens to be Ian Eagle's son, and old faithful Bill Raftery. And they did have a cool moment about 12 minutes into the broadcast where they showed a picture of a young Ian Eagle calling a game with Raft. You know, I knew your dad way back. And what's he doing now? He was a flash in the band of this business. I don't know, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. What's he been up to? All I know is I feel like I've got more volume on my hair than he does. My goodness, that is, that's fantastic. Oh. That's fantastic. And yet, your hair remains unchanged. How does that happen? I have the same tie. Same exact uh, tie, same outfit. He looks very perplexed. He, well, he's looking on. like I have to work with this nitwit for the next <laughs> so many years. But he is a keeper. You've got a great family, kid. You know that. And um, the feelings are mutual, by the way. I mean, it's great. I mean, he, he's sitting there playing back and forth with Rav. I mean, Rav just knows how to take a lighthearted situation and just run with it. I mean, but good for Rav, though. I mean, he, he still has a full head of hair. If you look back to the picture when he was sitting there next to Ian, the, the, my point is, you know, here's a situation where he could be kind of almost in awe of being next to Bill because here's a guy who's been successful side by side with his dad. He's also in the shadow of his dad. And because of all that, you know, it could have been a rough performance by now. We've seen rough performances of announcers all the time. I thought he handled himself very well. I thought he had a very professional broadcast. There were times where it almost kind of sounded like he was his dad a little bit to me. And, and you know me, I, I love Ian Eagle. So so no issues there. But you're going to want to pick on him for the one the one misstep you had. Well, you, so know, some, you know, somewhere a little bit later in the game, He's talking about Mike Holloway, who is an FDU graduate, former player, and he mistakes him for Brandon Hall. He actually says he was previously a grad assistant with Seton Hall, and he's talking about them bouncing back and forth. He also mentions Greg Horrenda's time with the Hall. So, you know, you take the good and the bad. But you know who we could really trust was Casey Jacobson on the Yale game. I'm not a big Casey Jacobson fan at all. And he starts calling Alexis Yetna Alex. And he says this over and over. And, and we're bantering back and forth. You're you're trying to stick up for the old Cardinal here by saying that, you know, maybe that's a shortcut. No, he corrects himself later by actually stopping himself short when he's saying Alex again and goes to Alexis. So 
good old okay. Casey. He and, and let's not even bring up the whole conversation about whose shoes were pinker, Jared Roden or Trey Jackson. Okay, the Pepto Bismol comment I, needs to go. I thought that was actually good. You know, he was kind of saying if you're going to put yourself front and center with all these fluorescent colored shoes, you know, the camera's going to be on you. You better step up and ball. I like that. I mean, here's my issue with our mic flop and mic drop segment, right? You know, clearly he's making a mistake in pronouncing Alexis yet his name or miscalling him Alex, right? It's all the stuff we go back and talk about Sandro's last name. How do you know that the intern? Or the, the statistician guy is not feeding Noah the wrong information. You think Noah is, is sitting there going, oh, I know the difference between Brandon Hall and Mike Holloway. The assistant coach is on the bench for after you. You, th you think he knows that? Hey, Come man, on. You, you could pass that flop on to whoever. You I could see you are Mr. Big Business. I could see that. It's always siding with ownership, always siding with the big man, always crapping on the little guy. Yes, go blame the intern. I'm it's just not the, the intern's fault when you don't know your business, Mike. You get handed the fact sheet. If the fact sheet's incorrect, you're reading it over the broadcast. Don't throw no under the bus. That was a little obscure fact. It's not like it's not like Jimmy Jackson going back and calling St. Anthony's St. Patrick's back in the day. Come on. Hey, it's your face. It's your voice. It's your responsibility. Speaking about being responsible and doing your job, Seton Hall comes down and takes care of business. Seton Hall lady, Yale 44. The early start time did not slow the Pirates down in this one as they jumped out to a quick 15-2 lead. Yale trimmed it to four at 19-15, but that's as close as they would make it. Seton Hall finished the final nine minutes of the first half on a 26-7 run. A 15-0 Pirates run midway through the second half extended the lead to 33, doubling up the Bulldogs, and that was all she wrote. All right, Tommy, stats on this one. Alexis Yetna, 15 points, 3 of 5 from the three-point line. Kadari Richmond bounced back, as I alluded to previously, 13 points, five rebounds, three assists. Miles Kale, 11 points, seven rebounds, four steals. Seems like he's going to be doing a little bit of everything this year. We kind of knew that coming in, but Miles is starting to stat sheet stuff, and I feel like he's going to be a permanent fixture in this segment. From a team perspective, it was all about shooting in this one. Seton Hall shoots 47% from the floor. Yale shoots 24%. That's crazy. Three-point shooting. Seton Hall shoots 33%. 8 to 24. A little bit of regression from the last game's robust 54%. But they still defended the line well. Yale, get this, 13% on 4 of 30. Seton Hall once again held a margin on the glass, plus 16. They pitched in with 12 more steals and 5 blocks. Tommy, the turning point in this one. I don't have one. I'm not going to default again and say the opening tip, but I got nothing for you. What, what, what do you want the turning point to be? My, Mikey, you don't need a turning point when you're leading the game from buzzer to buzzer. It just doesn't matter at no, no, I, I give you a turning point. Okay, so Yale cuts it to 19-15, right? They hit five out of six shots, and then uh, Willard calls a timeout. Aiken hit a tough little three. Right, so Aiken bumps it back out. Then, if I'm not mistaken, Kale gets a bucket, and there's a, a subsequent three. And then, in the blink of an eye, there was another 8-0 run that pushed the lead back out to double digits. And I don't think Yale knew what hit them because at that point, it just kind of snowballed from there. They really have the ability on this team to get hot fast. 
due to that ability to shoot the three that we didn't have last year. So something that was the Achilles heel of this team previously could become a big weapon. Hey, you're going to need it in certain situations on the road in conference play or against some of the powerhouses we're going to, we're going to face where the other team's getting hot and you need a bucket to silence the crowd or just get things going back in your favor. That dagger three, that really helps. And I felt like Aiken's three pointer in that moment was kind of one of those little dagger threes. Yes. I know it was Yale, but it really was a momentum swinging type bucket. No, no. And Aiken's been known to put some numbers up on Yale in the past. So let, so that was probably James Jones was probably seeing ghosts of past games come into his eyes, but let's talk about the solid bounce back games. You mentioned earlier, Kadari Richmond had himself a nice little game and Alexis Yetna, who we really didn't talk about in game one, he played a lot better in this game. Well, that's why we should be overreacting. We, we could have put Yetna in the sour grapes and gripes for game one as well, right? He gets the starting nod. We're projecting that he's going to have eight plus boards a game. You know, he scores in single digits in the first game. I think he only grabbed like two rebounds, right? So there could have been a lot of, uh-oh, did we overhype him as well? And he comes back and has a very nice performance. I'm not seeing him hit the glass as much as I thought I was going to see him, but that's because he's dancing around the three-point line on the offensive side. I expected some more junkyard dog points in the in the paint, but Tommy, it's three out of five from three-point range. Pretty uh, solid. I think Alexis Yetna is going to grow on us as the season goes on, Mike. I think he's kind of got a herky-jerky style to him. It's not your traditional kind of flow that you expect to see in basketball. He's got his own kind of unique way of moving around the court. I don't think you're going to get the style points. Is that what you're trying to get at? You know, it's not going to look smooth and silky like certain guys. It, it, yeah, it's just a little different. I think it's going to take a little time to get used to it, and then by the end of the season, we're going to be really appreciating it. Does it really matter as long as the ball goes in the basket? No, I'll, no, I'll give you an example. It doesn't matter I, the least bit. <laughs> Here's a guy that I kind of always picked on in the NBA. I, I was never a fan of Sean Marion's jump shot, right? It was kind of almost like a two-handed push shot. And I was like, how does this guy get, you know, put in the conversation of being like uh, the, the top 100 all-time players or whatever it was list that, that came out? And my brother's like, it's about the result, right? It's, you Absolutely. don't have to like the way it looks, but the guy produces results. So if Alexis is going to put the ball in the basket from behind the three-point line, and he's got this ugly looking shot. If it goes in, it goes in. But you know what wasn't ugly, Mike? The way we forced turnovers and got out in transition for the game. We forced 16 turnovers. We got 18 points off those turnovers. And it just seemed like every pass to the wing, either Miles Kale or Kadari Richmond, were just slapping those passes away, Mike. Well, you said it wasn't ugly. Well, it, it was ugly for the other team. I mean, Yale looked like they didn't know what the heck they were doing offensively. And that's because of us getting into those passing lanes. I don't think there were a lot of unforced turnovers. I think there was defensive pressure that created most of the action that you described. I mean, Kale and Richmond tallied a total of six steals. And when the defense did break down, we didn't even talk about this in the first game. Ike's there to just clean things up right now. Five blocks in the first game, another three on this one. And I think the team knows he's back there. And I think that allows them to be more aggressive on the perimeter. I don't want to see them let a guy blow by, but they're closing out on the three-point shooters really, really hard. And that's maybe causing some of these poor shooting numbers that we've seen from the opponents in the first two games. You know, maybe we're wrong. Maybe they're just 
they were cold and not hitting their shots. And we'll find out when the top competition steps up, but, it, but they're closing out better on three point shooting than I saw all of last season. And I think that's because they know they got Ike back there to clean up the mistakes. And, and you know, more than just Ike, Mike, We've seen Tyree Samuel make uh, make guys make adjustments midair. I think Trey Jackson's going to be another one of those guys. We're a big team on that back line there, and it's going to show. I think that's going to be a nice combination there where we're hedging on the passes because we know on the backside we're going to be all right. I, I just think it has a carrier effect. We talked about it last year that we wanted to see this team play fast, and they ended up kind of mucking it out and playing a lot of half-court isolation basketball. When this team got out in transition in this ball game, they, they look great. They look exciting. You're like, wow, this team could put up 80 plus points a night because of the athleticism they had out on the break. And there were a couple of times that they even had some turnovers. You're like, ah, I gave away a couple here or there, but they look dynamic when they're out there running with these athletes. We'll talk about more what they got to do in the half court, but in terms of their athleticism and that depth, they got nine guys that can run to the rim. That's exciting. Yeah, but you know what's not exciting? Me having to listen to you doing a whole other segment of Sour Grapes and Gripes. <laughs> I, I shouldn't even have to do Sour Grapes and Gripes today, but I, I'm looking at the note sheet. You got a lot on you, buddy. Go go ahead. Hit me with what you got. Uh, what? Oh, oh, this is me being Sour Grapes and Gripes. Understood. You're Mr. Glass Half Empty, That and but I'm the bad guy now. Don't Mike. paint me with that brush, Tommy. Don't paint me with that brush. <laughs> uh, you and Brian Felt. But you know, Mike... Shot selection is going to be a problem down the line. We shot 48 threes this past week. I mean, the first game, you got 54% of them to drop. It came back to the norm against Yale. We were about at that 33% mark. Alexis Yetna, we kept on saying that his rebounding was going to translate. He's going to be this big brute. He's a big, wide body. He's had 13 shots for this season so far, Mike, and seven have been from three. That's a whole lot of threes for a guy that wide. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but like I said, he, he's made, if I'm not mistaken, he made one out of two in the first game. He made three out of five. So right now the percentages are in his favor. If you maintain those types of numbers and they're good looks, I'm okay with it. What I'm not okay with is bad looks from three. So I'll give you one in terms of shot selection. They get out on the break, and at this point, we've been running up and down the floor, and the ball gets ahead to Aiken, and I'm like, just go. And then he pulls a Steph Curry. He gets like two steps across half court, and on a fast break, takes like the logo type three-pointer. What the heck, man? Dude, this surprises you? This is what Bryce does. This is his kind of game, man. That was heat check territory. You, no, you take the good with the bad with Bryce. So, so here's what I want. I, I expect the three-point shot to be a high-volume part of this offense. The game has changed. We see, like I said, we see NBA teams down on a given night hoist up 40-plus shots in one specific ball game, where more than 50% of the field goal attempts are three-pointers. It's just the way the game has is, is been evolving, right? So I don't expect Seton Hall to pound it into the post. Who are they pounding it in the post to? You want to go to Ike? Let me get Ike five touches on the low wait, block. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second, Mike. You know, this whole high volume three is a nice thing to have. When you're making a Mike, and I know you've watched the Knicks for the past 20 years try to turn themselves into the Golden State Warriors of recent times, but they didn't have the shooters. You could only do what you're supposed to do, Mike. 
Okay. Okay. So last year's team did not have that skill set. I think the skill set is on this team. Sure. So take away some of the rush shots from Bryce. Take away some of the the deep threes or off the dribble threes by Harris so far. Maybe Yetna kind of tones it back just a little bit. Relegated to wide open three point attempts or three point attempts within the offense. They shoot 54% in the first one, 33% in the second one. And we're still complaining about shot selection. You get that shot selection to improve. Yeah, I expect that number to be challenging high 30s, potentially pushing 40%, potentially. Just play within the offense and get quality three-point shots. That's all I'm saying here. I'm not saying we got to change the offense and cut it back. Just watch the shot selection and where it comes within the flow of the game. I mean, and speaking of watching what's going on in the game, can we not step out of bounds? (laughs) Kale did it on the killing me. But Kale did it once. Aiken did it twice. How hard is it to position yourself in the corner and be present with the ball and not have your foot out of bounds? Why does that happen so so often? Oh, it, it, it looks like it happens to us all the time, Mike. It just drives me up a wall. So we're being nitpicky now, right? So uh, why you know we we're complaining about guys stepping out of bounds, but you tell me we go play Michigan, you want to give away three possessions for a guy's foot being out of bounds on the sideline? I'm not okay with that. You know what, Mike? Here, here's why I guess I was grumpy to start this podcast. We have played two games so far this season that count, and there is still way too much one-on-one play going on, and it showed against Yale particularly. We had nine total assists for the game, Mike. We scored 80 points, and we had nine assists. How does that happen, Mike? We had seven on the first 73 points. We had five on the first 60 Mike, I mean, this, how does this, how do you even score baskets like this? It goes back to the FDU game. I think it got to a point where you saw that besides Yale's three returning players, they were young. So projections, whatever, you know, they, and they might finish first in the Ivy league. This might look like a quality win when the season is all said and done. And we're looking at the resume, but right now, besides those three players, they have a very, very young squad. And I think it just kind of came back to, once again, our individual talent being better than their individual talent. You're telling me at moments, oh, I like Kadari posting guys up. Yeah, when he's got five inches on the guy, six inches on the guy, but he's not going to get that every time. You know, you're not going to have, you know, the the types of one-on-one isolation be successful. And that's why I think you got 16 turnovers because there was so much one-on-one isolation. It, It was the same story in both games. Nothing wrong. The end result was fine. Can get away with in these kind of settings. Are you not concerned that game three, 48 hours from now, and a quick turnaround without any kind of way to get yourself some easy buckets, that one-on-one isolation might get kind of exposed against a team like Michigan on the road? On on the road. Certainly on the road, you're not going to get this kind of play out of the guys. So, I mean, we always say college teams don't really travel well for the most part. And not playing like a team's not going to help. Okay, so you're going to get mad at me, but because we have this early season challenge, I'm going to add one last bullet point to Sour Grapes and Crepes. And I don't think he had a horrible game. I was just frustrated to see that Jared still has to work off the rust after getting back into the lineup off of the sprained ankle. He did what he needed to do by hitting the glass 
for a total of 10 boards and finding a way to put his fingerprints on the game. But he shot three of eight. He had four turnovers. It looks like he was trying to force things a little bit. Like I said, maybe for him, it was just the first game jitters getting his feet back underneath him. I, I, I we got the quick turnaround. I can't you. believe you, Mike. I can't believe you're complaining about a guy who, you know, as of last week, Mike, we don't know when he's going to come back, Mike. I'm not sure when he's going to play. Wouldn't you rather watch him shake that rust off? He didn't play any exhibition. He didn't play FDU. Let him get his feet wet. And he still grabs 10 boards, Mike. I'm, Come I'm on, hope, man. I'm just, hoping he got all, I'm just hoping that he got all the rust off in this game because the next one up is a big one. I just, that, I, that's that, it. That, that's, that's just bad, Mike. That, I'm reaching, I'm reaching, I'm reaching. And I'm the grump. But Tom, there, there could be so many more things to complain about. I want to kind of maybe introduce a new segment. I don't know if you're going to let me run with it throughout the year, but I'm a big bubble guy, right? I like watching college basketball on the, the broader landscape of the sport. This and is I week this team, one and you're going to start talking bubble. You are nuts. I think they're going to be a bubble team. That was my projection. So you just keep an eye on what else is going around on around you relative to what's going to be on Seton Hall's resume. So I don't, I don't have a good uh, segment name for this yet, but I wrote it down as building your resume. And here's kind of what I saw, right? There's a couple of things that concern me because we took care of business. We're complaining here and there about some of the, the minutiae of the game, but we could be coming on here completely upset. You got a potential matchup against Cal down in Florida, depending on how things play out, and Cal loses to UC San Diego, and they back it up by losing to UNLV? That could be a game on our on our resume that we have to play if we don't win that Ohio State game and we get Cal in the loser's bracket of the Fort Myers Classic. They're, they're going to be a 200-plus RPI team out of the Pac-12. That's ridiculous. Nova loses to UCLA. Great basketball game late here on the West Coast. Sorry for those who went to bed and get, didn't get to watch it on the East Coast, but great basketball game that goes to OT. But when it comes to the metrics, we don't get any benefit of Nova losing in overtime to UCLA. Nova beating UCLA and you know making their metrics robust if you happen to knock off Nova or building up the resume for the Big East, we needed those marquee wins to take place. That didn't happen. You got Georgetown losing to Dartmouth. Come on, Big East, let's go. And on, uh, here's, here's just a couple others for you, right? Texas loses to Gonzaga. So you got, you know, you got Carino going, this could be the highest ranked team ever coming to the Rock. Eh, probably not now. And then I'll give you another one the big Super Bowl. Their best team since their final four run is taking the floor this year. And Rutgers comes out with two unimpressive wins overtime against Lehigh. And they're losing at the half versus Merrimack only to take control of the game and win 48 to 35. Watch out for the trapezoid folks. Watch out for the, it's sold out this year. Right. Okay. These are the kind of teams that whether you like it or not, you want to root for in the non-conference to kind of you know boost their resume. So if we do beat them, they become nice resume wins down the road. The only team that actually took care of business outside of the ordinary, Wagner beat VCU. Good job. Good job, Wagner. Go Seahawks. I, I can't believe we're going this deep this early, Mike. That's what it's I do. It's what I do. Early. It's, what it's I do. way too early to worry about this stuff. But you're not the only one, Mike, with deep thoughts. 
And now, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. So, Mike, actually, there wasn't a whole lot to pick apart this week with Kevin's post-game comments. You know, actually, he seemed real happy to see the guys. He was real happy to see uh, Gary Cohen and Dave Popkin after the fact. He was all, you know, giddy almost with this season coming in. Oh, yeah, it was a real love affair until he got asked a tough question. Yeah, go go ahead. (laughs) But far be it from Coach Willard to not drive me crazy about one of his answers. So, you know, I'm going to let Gary actually ask the question, and then we'll listen to Coach's response. When do you expect uh, best guests to get Jared back? Uh, I don't know. Again, that's you know, it's it, it's up to the medical staff. Whatever, whenever he, they clear him, uh, I have no idea. You know, it could be, uh, could be, it could be for Yale, or it could be for Michigan, or it might be for Florida. So, <laughs> here's my problem. I got I actually got a whole lot of problems for that three sentence answer he gave him. He makes Gary a schmuck here. He absolutely. Why, 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 how does he make Gary a schmuck? He, oh, I don't know. I don't know when Jared's coming back. Maybe for Yale. Maybe for Michigan. Maybe for even Florida. Hell, he might make it back for senior night, Mikey. I don't know. I'm just gonna let the ca- I'm All just right. gonna let the medical staff tell me when it's gonna be okay. So I'll put you in Gary's Mike, shoes. How would you? How do you come back? How do you respond to that question? Then with that with that kind of response, Mike, it's a crap answer. You're not treating Gary with any respect here, Mike. You know. When Jared's coming back, you already know how his ankles react into the treatment. You've spoken with the medical staff. You have an understanding. You have a timeline of when all this stuff happens, but yet Willard treats all of this with this secrecy and this this cloak and dagger nonsense, and it causes nothing but drama and rumors amongst the masses here. You know, this is reminiscent of the whole situation with uh, Powell when he twisted his ankle going into Michigan State. I mean, what is this is just nuts how it's being handled, Mike. I think you got to take a deep breath and just realize that people know at this point that Willard's the boy who cried wolf. So so why are you getting so overhyped when you've heard these answers before and you know they have no merit? You know that he's probably coming back for the Yale game. We knew Miles Powell was probably coming back for the Michigan State game, right? So so why are you getting all worked up about it? Be- and at this be- point, it's the running joke, the the Tony test, the holy water. You know, it's just, it's become comical at this point, right? So w- what should he say? He should sit there and go, yes. What should he say? Jet- he should treat us like adults. Like Travis Steele treated his fan base like adults when talking about Zach Fremantle's injuries. He talked about when he had a surgery. He talked about the prognosis of return. And he even said, you know what? We expect him to come back a lot earlier than originally thought. That's how you treat a fan base, Mike. I mean... With all this cloak and dagger, everything gets blown out of proportion. Like, what do we got to do? Do we got to go to Pravda and figure out what's going on? I mean, he treats this program and information around it like KGB Russia, man. Just come out with it 
and it and it doesn't blow up into something that it's not. That's what drives me crazy. Stop so treating want, us like idiots. You want transparency, and I, I, I get. That. I think that's fair, and I, I think we've picked on Willard in this segment at nauseum for not providing that transparency. You know, there's going to be moments where you get, you know, lauded for you know the things that you've done for this program, but there's also going to be times where you get criticized, and it's okay to let us behind the curtain once in a while when things are not perfect. That, that happens. We don't expect it to all be, you know, peaches and cream all the time. The point is we, we shouldn't make this the focus at this point. Two positive wins. What you should be watching is what we got upcoming in 48 hours. On Tuesday night, they have a chance to make a statement early in this season as they travel to Michigan for the Gavit games. I mean, you got the Wolverines that are probably going to be top five going into that game. That's what we should be talking about. We should be talking about that opportunity that's right in front of us 24 hours from now. It's all people are going to be talking about. Big game Tuesday night against Michigan. The revenge game, Tom. The revenge game. <laughs> I don't know if it's a revenge game. They did play Michigan the following year after that uh, that tragic bad call in the championship game. But let's take a look at Michigan. Michigan is currently sitting at 2-0 after wins against Buffalo and Prairie View A&M. There are those Prairie View guys always we sneaking know into our podcast. That's amazing. Man. That's three years in a row they've got their name set on this podcast. It, That's it, not possible. It's nuts. That's but not possible. Uh, last year in, in Coach Jawan Howard's second year, Michigan went 23-5, and 14-3 and three in the Big Ten, good for first. They won their Big Ten title there. They made the Elite Eight before bowing out to UCLA, 51-49. And you know what, Mike? This year, the Big Ten title is in play as well. They're led by sophomore center Hunter Dickinson, Seven foot one, who's so far averaging 19 and eight. And this kid is the goods. Last year, he was second team all Big Ten, first team all freshman. He was the Big Ten freshman player of the year. Even not second team All-American, Mike. Additionally, you're going to see fifth-year senior Eli Brooks, who's, who goes 13-3-3 right now. And they've got a freshman wing named Caleb Houston out of Montverde Academy, six foot eight, averaging twelve points, four and a half rebounds a game so far. Oh, five star kid, yeah. I mean, we're we're complaining about you know guys not getting off the bench in rotations for certain teams early on. He's not even logging big minutes yet, right? I mean, the, this team has a lot of talent on it. But with all the talent on the floor for both teams, I'm, I'm going to go in a different direction here right off the bat and tell you who I think the X factor is for this matchup. You just highlighted Hunter Dickinson. The guy is everything you just described. He makes them go. He creates the inside presence that they want, and he allows the outside shooters on that team to not get pinched with, you know, tighter, with better spacing as you try to kind of hedge down into the post. The key for Seton Hall is for Ike Obiagu to not get into early foul trouble and to actually hold his own against Dickinson. I'm not asking him to go score on the other side of the floor. That's not our expectation of Ike on any given night. And I don't need Ike to be blocking eight shots. He's got to make offensive side of the floor a task for Dickinson to get his. He's got to make him. He's got to make him work. He's got to stay out of foul trouble, and he's got to actually create a presence for Seton Hall inside the paint. This is the ideal matchup. This is like your exact 180 of when we played Creighton. 
but you want to pull Ike off the floor. This is the type of game where we're going to be uh, using Ike as a centerpiece. But my concern is, and I've seen this in the past, Ike is great coming over blocking on a help defense. When Ike gets matched up against a guy one-on-one and he gets thrown a couple head fakes, what's Ike doing? He's jumping through the rafters and, and getting you know getting a lot of easy early fouls against him. Hunter Dickinson's got a lot of good moves in the post, plenty of head fakes from what I watched his game before. Can Ike keep it under control? You're going to laugh at me. Can he wall up at 7-2 and just force Dickinson to really, like I said, work for those points? You, you got a different angle here? You want to you want to go a different direction? No, I mean, he, Hunter Dickinson is definitely the guy that stirs the drink. He's the pick guy on the pick and roll when Michigan runs that. So it's going to be interesting seeing how we defend that. But the, the hype machine is already out there, Mike, for Michigan. They're talking about Michigan being a top team in the Big Ten, Big Ten title contender. People are even saying they're probably in a good position to even win it all this year. I mean... Jeff Goodman actually tweeted out during the first game, we're 14 minutes into the season and I'm ready to hand Michigan the national title. You know, I think he was kidding. I think. I'm not really positive. So I take is that a hot take from Jeff Goodman? That that's a huge hot take. But you know, they've got a heck of a coaching staff. Jawan Howard has showed he knows how to coach. He's got Phil Martelli on the sidelines with him. And he's got former Big East standout Howard Isley on that staff as well. They've got a lot of veteran leadership in the backcourt. And there's all those young kids coming up as well, man. This is going to be a tough task. At the end of the day, you know what? You're going to have to have I do what I said and kind of limit Dickinson to the best of his ability you're going to need two other things. You're going to need solid, steady point guard play from your floor general and Kadari Richmond in a hostile road environment. That's why I think people were kind of, you know, jumping off the, the bridge after that first game against FTU. There's a lot of expectations for Kadari. These are the types of moments that they're going to hope that he rises to the occasion, you know, and really takes the reins at point guard. So can he control the tempo of the game? Can he get Seton Hall into their offense? There was a lot of pick six type turnovers by the Pirates in this game against Yale. I think Jameer Harris had a couple where he was passing back out to the top of the key after he couldn't break his guy down on the dribble. Uh, there was a couple of sloppy passes. You can't be letting the other team get out and transition off of your turnovers in this type of matchup. And I also think that you need a reliable scorer to settle things down from time to time. I know we got Miles Kale as part of that leadership, but that responsibility is going to fall on Jared Roden for this team. And Jared just coming back off the injury, having that rust in that first game, that's why I was a little bit concerned. You're going to need some big buckets at times, and I hope Jared has kind of worked out the kinks and he's not forcing the situation. There are other guys on this team that can step up. You've seen it from Jameer Harris. You've seen it already from Alexis Yetna. You're seeing Bryce A can play how he can play when he's healthy. There are other options on this team. So I want to see Roden make the big plays in the big moments, but I don't want to see him force it. They are going to have to show poise in this environment. And if they do, I think they're going to hang with Michigan and make it a game. Okay, Mike, give me your prediction then. You said they're going to make it a game. Tell me what you think is really going to happen. I said they're going to make it a game. I didn't say they're going to win. Come on. <laughs> uh, it, look, it, it, at this point, I think you're going into this game playing with house money. Great opportunity. 
I mean, but to go in and say that you're expecting a win or I'm going to predict the Pirates to win on the road early in the season, still trying to figure out their rotation against a number five ranked national team that has the pedigree of success from last year. This is not just a overhyped ranking off of a bunch of recruits that were brought in. This is a legit team, right? I mean, they were a couple games away from making it to the final four last year. No, I, I take that back. They made it to the elite eight. Right, they were one step away from making it to the final four. Gravy game early in the season, but kind of a gravy game. But it's also kind of a litmus test to kind of see, you know, how this team is going to handle themselves. I would have preferred to see this game at Madison Square Garden, the quote unquote neutral floor, Mike, because then I tell you that we could make a game out of this. I think that this is not going to be that close a game. You just said you think we're going to make a game out of it. I don't even see that, Mike. I haven't seen us play as a team yet this season. I think Jared just coming off the injured list here, so to speak, is going to still be feeling his way around. I don't know. I I, I think this is going to be one of those games where we're going to burn the film at the end of the day. Do not misquote me. I said if three things happen, Ike slows down Dickinson, Kadari shows poise, and Jared steps up in big moments when we need a bucket, then they can hang around the three major components. If you're not getting two of those three or things go sideways. No, I, I don't think they're going to be able to overcome not having those types of elements on the court in this particular game. I'll give you an example where, you know, they might not do well in this game, but you shouldn't write them off for the entire season. Do you remember when we went out to Nebraska early in the season? I think it was also second or third game and they kind of hung around around halftime and then in the second half, they got the doors blown off and they lost by, by 20, right? That, that oh, was a yeah, that game. was an ugly game. We weren't happy about that game on the back end. But, but, but how did that season turn out? Did, did the team turn around by the time all was said and done at the end of the year? Yes, right? So you can't have an overreaction if they go into Michigan and the final result is a double-digit loss or, God forbid, it's a it's a 20-point blowout. You just you got to learn from it, come back, and move on to the next one. So great opportunity, but – it can't be jump off the bandwagon if they don't have a, a victory in this one or if they're not competitive. I just, no, no, I this isn't like a jump this off the is, bandwagon game. You said it, though. People are ready to bench Kadori after the FDU game, right? So, I mean, come on. People are crazy, Mike. Right, so, but, but, but here's why they can't jump off the bandwagon, Tom. Here's why the fans can't do this. The fans do it fine, but the coaching staff needs to keep them poised. You do realize that after this Michigan game, there is no next game this week to bounce back beat up on a cupcake and then kind of get the ship, you know, righted. The next game that we're going to be breaking down is the Thanksgiving tournament down in Florida, that Fort Myers classic where they got to go toe to toe with Ohio state in the first matchup. So if you're going to take a lot of negativity potentially out of this matchup, if they lose, that's what you got to roll it into. You got a week to them prepare and roll that into the Ohio state matchup. I'm telling you, man, a lot of excitement, a lot to look forward to but we just got to temper expectations early with this team. I, I know you're going to be sitting around watching. I'm going to be sitting around watching. Absolutely, Mike. And, you know, during the season preview, I already said that I believe that this team's going to be better later on that they're gonna than they're showing currently or they're going to be early. So, absolutely, I'm going to get my big basket of popcorn, Mike. I'm going to be on my couch in the late afternoon watching Seton Hall travel up there, and I'm going to be yelling, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at El Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Gaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 